Our next storyteller. Next storyteller. Your next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Hello and welcome to The Narrators. This podcast collects stories from our live events where people share true stories based on a theme. Today's story comes from Colleen Leggett. The story was recorded live on January 16th, 2019 at Buntport Theater in Denver, Colorado. The theme of the show was Habit. So like uh, almost all kids, most kids, I was deeply concerned with fitting in when I was a child. And that worked out just fine through the beginning of elementary school. I had lots of friends. Most people liked me. Uh, But then later in elementary school, everybody started, like, coupling off, except for me. And I was like, boys don't like me. I mean, they liked me fine, but they didn't, like, like me like me. And it was (laughs) extremely uncomfortable. I got very self-conscious. And for a long time, I thought that I just must be ugly, that I was had like a weird too tall body and chubby thighs and bad teeth and uh and then you know with like age and wisdom I've realized that I shouldn't have blamed myself for that because I should have blamed my mother uh my my mother was a fundamentalist evangelical Christian so uh there were a lot of rules um in the particular like theological like theological tradition that I was raised in, there were um, pretty much anything was a sin, and like if you thought about it long enough, and also thinking about it long enough could be a sin because thinking about it might make you want to sin, which is the same as sinning. So it was all a lot of anxiety, and um, even though not all sins were created equal, like the sexual sins were the worst ones, and I was my mother's only daughter. Uh, And she was determined not to raise a slut, which I know because she told me when I was six. (laughs) So, like, even though most kids were getting more freedom the older they got, I was getting less and less. Like, she started restricting all of these, like, parts of pop culture, like TV shows and music and stuff that was fine a few years earlier was suddenly very much not okay. Um... She, as like my my body, sort of lurched awkwardly towards womanhood. Um, she became especially concerned with modesty. Uh, she once told me if she could afford to quit her job and homeschool me, she would, but she couldn't afford that, so she was just going to dress me like a homeschooler, which turned out to be an unfortunate joke because the homeschoolers had way better style than I did. Um, So, like, by fifth grade, my mom was turning me into a full-on weirdo, and I was very aware of it, and so I just started lying all the time about stuff. Like, I would lie about, like, movies that I'd seen, and I I started to to get really good at faking knowing the lyrics to songs I'd never heard before. (laughs) And then when I was, like, questioned about my wardrobe, I would always be like, well, my very cool older brother has a very cool older girlfriend who dresses just like me. It was like a you're not mature enough to understand these cool outs defense. <laughs> not really sure how successful that actually was. Um, but still, I was so concerned that like uh, everybody else seemed to have l- coupled up and like I like boys were just not interested in me. Could have been the cool outs. But um, I uh, <laughs> that all started to change. Um, 
when at Fundamentalist Christian Camp, the summer before middle school, I had my first ever reciprocal crush, which was delightful. His name was Simon, and he had like, like brown eyes and this like dark hair, and it was all floppy like all the 90s teen heartthrobs, which was very exciting for me. Uh, and because like Fundamentalist Camp was a really good social equalizer for me, I was never the only girl in culottes. Uh, <laughs> It didn't matter that I didn't know any of the like cool things going on in the world because neither did they. It was good. I finally fit in. And uh, so like I had seen Simon one day at dinner and I like looked at him and I was like, he is the cutest boy ever. And he looked at me and even though I had never like had a boy express interest in me, I just assumed by the way he was staring and like smiling that that meant he thought I was pretty. And that was, like, a great feeling. Uh, so, like, also at Fundamentalist Camp, they're essentially, like, raising an army for Jesus. <laughs> You're not given very much free time. <laughs> so, like, um, so, like, getting to know him was kind of hard. You know, like, like, conversations between boys and girls were not prohibited, but they were definitely discouraged and usually interrupted if they lasted for more than like a minute or two. So I was able to get very basic details about his life. I knew he lived like two hours away from where I lived and that he was my age. And that's all. Uh, also, I think we were super awkward and 12. So we did a lot of just like staring at each other from a godly distance. Um, and I had been to this camp like several years in a row and never had there been anyone from my hometown who was there. But as fate would have it, that year, a girl that I had known since first grade had been dragged to camp by her weird fundamentalist cousin. And uh, I ran into her one day. Um, Kelly and I had, we were friends, but like we weren't as good friends as we used to be because like she always had a boyfriend and I never had a boyfriend. And so... Uh, so one day, like, she and I are talking on our way to chapel, and she's, I'm, like, mid-sentence, and she goes, Colleen, don't freak out. There is a boy checking you out, and he is super cute. And I, like, look over, and it's Simon, and I'm very excited because Simon's staring at me again. <laughs> and then I was like, yeah, that, that's Simon. We kind of have, like, a thing. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> and, uh... And she goes, oh, my God, I'm so happy for you, and, like, throws her arms around me, and then her counselor runs over and is like, you can't take the Lord's name in vain, and turns into all things. Uh, so, uh, so, like, the last day at camp, Simon and I are, like, very awkwardly saying goodbye to each other because, uh, you know, we can't really touch each other or, or talk for more than a few minutes at a time. And, um, and he, like, asked to see my Bible, and I was like, of course, sure. And I, like, handed my Bible, and he, like, scribbles his address in the front of it. And I was like, that feels sacrilegious, but I'm not going to lose it, so we're good. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, please, please write me. And I'm like, I will write you. And then I did. And then that little bastard never wrote me back. <laughs> and I spent the rest of the summer trying to convince myself this was, like, a postal service issue. <laughs> But, like, I knew, I knew deep down that he just, you know, like, he probably never really liked me at all. And I was real sad about it. And then, you know, I also had bigger things to deal with because I was about to start middle school. Um, and I was terrified of that. Did not know that I was not terrified enough about that. But, like, uh, I... And then it's, like, the first day of school. And before I even make it through the door, Kelly, 
the girl who was at fundamentalist camp, like charges up to me and she goes, oh my God, did you hear from Simon? And without missing a beat, I was like, oh, I totally did and we're in love and he's my boyfriend now. <laughs> and I had this moment where I was like, okay, I've lied about shit before to look cooler, but like, oh, lying about a boyfriend is like kind of high stakes because if anyone ever finds out, that is social suicide on the first day of middle school, which seemed like a bad idea, but I was like, oh, okay, it'll be fine. And like Kelly, bless her, was a talker. So by middle school, or like by, by lunch that first day of middle school, there were like kids coming up to me who I didn't know and they were like all talking about how they'd heard about my long distance boyfriend who was like a prepubescent Jordan Catalano. And I was like, just kind of going with it because I didn't know what to do. And I realized too that it was like, I had told little lies before, like, sure, I've listened to that album before, or I've seen that movie, or definitely my mom didn't ban The Simpsons because she thought Bart Simpson was too disrespectful. And if I listen to somebody be disrespectful to their parents, then I might disrespect her by having sex. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in this situation, though, there were like all of these questions. So it wasn't just one lie. It was millions of lies. It was like, what was the name of the school that he went to? How often we, did we talk on the phone? Like, when we saw each other, did he come to me or did I go to him? And like, had we made out yet or were we only holding hands? And I was just like flying by the seat of my pants, trying to keep up and like keep a mental list so that I wouldn't screw this up and everybody would know that I had just faked a boyfriend. And then like, I realized that uh, this was never gonna work and I needed to break up with him. <laughs> But I was also like, I just spent all day telling everyone that uh, I definitely love him and we're probably soulmates even. <laughs> so I can't break up with him like now. And I can't, I can't say that he broke up with me because that would def defeat the entire purpose of this whole exercise. So I was like, you know what? I'll just like, I'll wait it out till the end of the week. The buzz will die down. I'll figure out an excuse. Everything's gonna be fine. Then it turned out I really liked the attention. <laughs> Because like, well, everyone just had their normal real life middle school boyfriends. I had like, mine could be whatever I wanted him to be. <laughs> and so I, I would just like find ways to work him into conversations. It was also really practical because I could use him as an excuse when I wasn't allowed to go to a school dance or someone's birthday party because there were boys there or whatever. I could just be like, no, I'm gonna be hanging out with my super cool out of town boyfriend. It's fine. Um, and then, um, so, so suddenly we were like celebrating our six month anniversary. <laughs> and uh, I had made this, this one mistake, like my number one frenemy in middle school, her name was Sarah. And she also always had boyfriends that went to different schools, but other people had met them. So that was different. Um, but I had told her one day, like she thought that made us like a sisterhood or something. So like uh, I had told her one day that like, uh, Simon was going to come down to visit and we were going to spend the weekend together <laughs> like you do it. I was 13 by then, but still, that's like not realistic. Uh, no one's parents have the energy for that. Um, but uh, so I was like, yeah, we're going to do this. And really, I was hanging out with a girl from a different school that I knew from some, from a different not fundamentalist summer camp who I had never even bothered to lie about my fake boyfriend to. Um, and so I like my friend Michelle and I go to this movie and then Sarah like out of nowhere charges at me and she's like, Oh my God, where's Simon? And I was like, um, the hospital. <laughs> uh, it's like a, a car accident. 
seems pretty serious. I don't have any details yet. And she looked at me like, what? And I was so scared that I was about to like be discovered that I just burst into tears, which she seemed to take as evidence that my boyfriend was definitely in the hospital. And uh, so she like gives me a hug and then goes back to her real boyfriend from a different school. And like then my friend Michelle is like, wait, isn't Simon the name of the guy who didn't write you back from summer camp? And I was like, it's a long story. And I realized then, I was like, this is bad. I am definitely gonna get busted for this shit. Like, there's no way I'm gonna keep getting away with it. And like, the lies just keep turning into more lies. And like, he's in the hospital? How was that reasonable? Like, it had been six months. Surely I could have let him dump me six months later. But no. So I'm like, all right. There's only one logical solution here. Like, Simon has to die. <laughs> <laughs> But I also, I thought it would be really suspicious if Simon happened to die right when someone almost met him. And so I was like, well, I should stall for a little while. So I took the weekend and I was trying to figure it out. Still not exactly sure how I was gonna land, but I was like, I can drag this out for a little while, it's fine. And then on Monday, Sarah comes up to me and she's like, oh my God, how is Simon? Is everything okay? And I was like, in a coma, um, head trauma punctured lung, multiple broken bones. It's not looking good. <laughs> and, uh, and she's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And then again, like word traveled fast because junior high girls. And um, people started telling me how sorry they were. And uh, people started, started saying like, oh my God, is there anything I can do for you? And I'd be like, no, no, your friendship is enough. <laughs> so... <laughs> So that attention was actually like kind of better than just the fake boyfriend attention. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, like, how long can someone be in a coma? <laughs> but then I, I knew too, I was like, no, I'm like, I just keep getting deeper and deeper into this. It's time I pull the plug, like very literally, because uh, <laughs> when it was Sarah's birthday, like her birthday came around and she wanted me to go to this party and there were gonna be boys there and like spin the bottle and stuff. And I knew that my mom would never let me go. And also, cause my mom thought Sarah was easy cause she shaved her legs. So like, I, uh, so I was like, fuck, I'm like, I'm never, okay, uh, no, I can't go because um, uh, Simon's mom's gonna take him off life support and I have to go be there to like hold her hand. Um, so it was over, fake boyfriend, dead. <laughs> Um, it was a very hard time for me. <laughs> and uh, after that, I stopped the compulsive lying and like learned to appreciate myself for who I am. That is also a lie. <laughs> like, I just lied until like my mom came to understand that I was a good kid and she didn't need to give me all of these crazy rules and then it was fun. Nope, that's also a lie. So like, I lied until high school when out of the blue, this extremely hot, like super evangelical high school football god moved to my high school, declared that dating in high school was a sin, and then all of the Christian kids suddenly became popular. And even though that is the least likely scenario, that is exactly what happened. <laughs> And it was extremely good timing because it was 1998 and I was never gonna keep getting away with that shit in a world with Google. <laughs> yeah.
The Narrators was created by Andrew Orvidal and is produced by me, Ron Doyle, Sidney Crane, and Aaron Rollman, with support from Scott Carney, Karen Wachtel, Jesse Witten, and Robert Rutherford. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Bumport Theater Company, Illegal Pete's, From the Hip Photo, and Great Divide Brewing Company. Our theme music is by Whalehawk. We'd also like to thank Teacup Gorilla, who provided the music you're listening to right now, and fans just like you, who attend our live monthly shows, which take place every third Wednesday of the month at Bumport Theater in Denver, Colorado. For more information about our storytellers or the narrators, visit thenarrators.org and find, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>